0: Welcome back to another edition of Friends of the Vine Wine Podcast. So, episode 31 will feature Sam Udi. He is from Cult Wines. We had on before, if you remember, Jack Chapman, who is also from Cult Wines. Uh, Sam actually works for their Singapore-based office, and he is also in the wine investment trade. There's a couple of different offices that they have. One is uh, in London, and then they also have ones in Hong Kong and Singapore. So Sam's based out in Singapore. Uh, great chat with him about um, the, specifically, the Southeast Asia influence in wine investments. And as we know, there's been quite a push recently in the last you know 10 years in the Bordeaux and Burgundy area, especially uh, buying up chateaus and buying up different wineries it also shows in their wine investments as well so that's his primary focus is that area and we actually start with a conversation about the rise of the california wines as a wine investment and specifically obviously napa and how much that is playing into people's portfolios for wine investments the podcast was over skype as a lot of these are and Unfortunately, it's a little crunchy. Uh, the wind was playing a bit of havoc with us on that day, so it's a bit a bit crunchy from time to time, but uh, it's a great conversation. Also, I wanted to just give a quick thanks to a lot of my listeners who have joined, um, especially from the U.S. We've got a ton of listeners who've recently come on board from, uh, from Connecticut, from New York. Uh, Virginia's always representing well down there, so thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, Washington State, California. So, thanks very much, guys, for listening, and uh, let's get right into it. Not only have you got a focus with for investments, have you got a focus with Bordeaux and Burgundy, but it seems like that, like the Napa region, is really coming online as well for investments. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, it has, it's uh, probably the fastest growing region for us in terms of how we expose our clients to it. Um, coming from a relatively small base, admittedly, about. Maybe ten years ago, from an investment perspective, not that many Californian wines would have featured in our portfolios. But that's that, that's changed. That's changed quite a bit. It's still not an area which we can give um, too much emphasis towards, uh, and it's nothing to do with quality because there's a huge amount of quality coming out of uh, Napa and Sonoma. But um, it's more to do with global maybe recognition of the brands, a uh, trade secondary market how the brands distribute themselves so really how the market sentiment is seen broadly speaking and then there's the the famous californians which you know every, everybody knows about screaming eagle and etc but there's probably only 20 brands which we as investment advisors can demonstrate not just uh, potential growth but the ability to liquidate our clients positions which is what's uh, equally if not more important than the Price appreciation—it's growing, and I think uh, yeah, today you may be looking just north of 10 percent of our, our overall portfolio is allocated towards uh, California, of which the vast majority will be Napa. Not not many Sonoma makes it onto our, our portfolios at the moment, uh, and it will it will increase. I think over the next two three years we should be getting up towards 15 percent. Uh, it's benefiting from—I wouldn't really say the demise of Bordeaux, but the the, the drawing back of Bordeaux's influence, um, which ten years ago would have very conceivably been 90 to 95 percent of our clients' exposure today, probably getting towards 45, and likely to diminish by three, four, five percent each year, up until the point where, yeah, Bordeaux is probably seen in similar proportions to Burgundy, California, and then uh, Italy and Champagne falling somewhere in between.
0: Yeah, and, and it's interesting even from from California because, you like you said, you've got the other regions as well where they're, they're, people are starting to realize that, like Sonoma and Lodi and all these other areas are starting to kind of become on people's radars, shall we say.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's starting to, starting to get a wider, wider audience. And for us at the moment, to, to come back to the whole asia side it is it is crucial that we see the the brand appreciation over in Asia because they are guiding a lot of the globals um, steer or direction on on what what 's becoming popular and what 's becoming most uh, most attractive mm-hmm. so once we start seeing an appreciation towards a, a new region, a new style uh, a new uh, producer or um, brand then we can be pretty sure that others around the same sort of area will follow. Um, I think Singapore is at the forefront of what Southeast Asia will be drinking wine-wise. It's a relatively sophisticated market, but it's probably only in the last, well, ten years, maybe maybe less, five, six, seven years, that they've moved away from the most traditional Bordeaux estates towards the more complete, uh, com- complicated, complex um, Burgundy. Uh, I think California is still a little way off. You see, you see the more familiar names and brands, but they're they're definitely not that adventurous over here. They're they're working their way through key regions at a a, a fairly gradual pace. I guess like any individual would, instead of scattering all of the global um, wine uh, market uh, wine producers to try and learn everything at once, they're they're gradually working their way back. So. Over here, we don't see too many Californians on wine lists on the tables being served or in, in wine merchants even. I guess that's also maybe to do with our proximate, proximity to Australia. We see, see, see a lot more Australians um, or, and New Zealand wines being served. Uh, and I guess that's uh, yeah down to the logistics. Um, people have a bigger understanding because for us, we can travel down to, to Australia, to the southern coast in uh, 5 6 hours i think not exactly a short weekend hop but uh, it's a lot a lot closer than california so I, I think people are more associated australia with the up and coming new world producers as opposed to to california which they're really yet to have any experience with but i think that will that will come
0: how did you get into how did you get into wine yourself You've, you said you were in London before this with, with Cult Wines, but I mean, how did, you kind of, how, how did your passion kind of start up with wine?
1: I'd always been a strong family interest in wine on the collecting side. My dad um, has, has always, I suppose, always had a small collection at home, would always drink decent Bordeaux particularly is what, where, where his interests have, have always mainly been. Um, so he was always encouraged to, to, to understand and appreciate it from a relatively young age. A lot of his interest actually came from his brother-in-law, um, my my uh, my auntie's husband, who's a French Iranian hus- uh, French Iranian uh, surgeon. He got to the pinnacle of his career, and um, I think in in his in his early or mid seventies, is the facial reconstruction surgeon globally. So he'd be flown to Dubai to consult if if one of the, the um, the royal family or somewhere anywhere uh, needed serious work done from a, an accident he would be the person that would be be flown over first class to sort of. so he was he was a, a big big man in his in his field and I think when I was maybe 18 or 19 years old I was at their house in Rouen and he quite a fierce man quite an intimidating man said um, said to me that if he had his time again he would have gone on into the wine industry as soon as he possibly could have done instead of ever considering medicine. Hmm. this was coming from the man who had the house, he had the cars, he had a a private jet, he had a boat, he had everything he could possibly want, and he had a fantastic cellar. Uh, So for someone who, in my eyes, had absolutely everything uh, an 18 or 19-year-old boy could dream of having. Um, to say that he probably wouldn't have gone down the same route and would have gone on to wine, which is what his passion is, struck quite a, quite a chord. You know, people are steering you towards specific educations, which lead you into specific careers. Everything's about the path that you take. And, and I was on a, it in, in a, in a, being sent in a different direction at the time. That same uh, holiday trip that we were staying with them, we had a uh, 2002 uh, Domaine de la Romney Conti Echézeaux, And I'd gone from having some reasonable Bordeaux, probably no experience in Burgundy, um, to having something like this, which I didn't know the brand. I didn't know the vineyard. I didn't know anything about it. I probably couldn't have even told you that it was Pinot Noir at the time. But something stood out about this particular wine, which... Uh, put my head in a spin you know there's so much going on I didn't know anything about wine so I didn't know how to interpret it I didn't know how to understand or describe everything that was going on in the glass and that kind of confusion uh, awe with something that uh, I I hadn't really experienced to that level water as well so I went through my my university days I studied property uh, agency marketing and investment so I'd always been geared up towards working in um, commercial development or property investment residential that, that side of things but had kept up with learning a little bit more about wine on the side uh, thinking it would just be a passion giving myself a tap on the back that in my early 20s I was um, you know, trying to learn about the uh, the different regions or the different appellations in Bordeaux and trying to understand a little bit of, about Tuscan wines. And it wasn't really till I got to the end of my university degree, I'd also been doing a wine module uh, alongside, that I thought, you know what, property's not what I want to be doing. It's what I should be doing, because mm. it's a safe, solid... Um, career where you know you can you can almost guarantee you've got a a safe a safe future if if all goes well i thought i actually i don't really want to do that i want to buy everything i've learned from property investment and development um having previously studied economics business management that side of things and applying it to wine Mm. i didn't know at the time if it could be done i didn't know that wine investment existed um but one of those perfect occasions, in the right place, at the right time, I happened to be at the same pub on the weekend as a chap who would have been maybe three years above me at my university, who I knew a little bit, who was working with investment. He was looking to leave the business he was working for, to go back to his family farm to take over um, and start to run the estate there. And he needed someone to fill his desk. So I think within a week or two weeks, he introduced me to his boss, I interviewed and started uh, a couple of weeks later. Hmm. So having gone all the way through with this clear plan of how things should be done, it was a complete stroke of fate and timing that within, yeah, within a month, all of those things happened at the same time. And I, uh, I kind of fell into that first job. Um, I, I think I spent a year, maybe just under a year at that first company. Mostly cutting my teeth, you know going through the, the, the sales process and getting used to rejection, <laughs> doing the <that> hard <laughs> stuff which you hate at the time, and yeah. you think it's a massive, a massive waste of uh, waste of your hours, but actually reflecting back, you realize that it's really important to get around people's objections and lack of understanding to be able to sell a product better because wine investment is its investment in sales, but still what we're doing is being able to have to sell. A service and selling you in the supermarket it's not like we're going to people and saying oh, invest in apple or samsung or google you know things that people are much more familiar with we're trying to pitch a relatively new head of or inexperienced so within a year i then moved over to cult wines um, where i got head under to be uh, one of their senior portfolio managers which is where i stayed for uh, six years um, before uh, being pulled aside and uh and offered to the, the new office uh over here
0: it definitely fortuitous that's for sure like you said that as as much as it was a chance meeting in a pub it it definitely was to your credit there sometimes it, it is that right place right time right yeah yeah
1: absolutely i'm not i'm not generally um a, a believer in fate but sometimes you just you have to appreciate that um chances of something happening the way it did are so small that they're you know some something's put you in that place at that time yeah i count myself lucky to have uh, to have found the opportunity that was essentially perfect for me
0: Would would you say that uh, you said that drc was that one of your most memorable wines that you've had obviously that that was quite impactful uh, at that time
1: um certainly one of the most memorable for the experience, for the lasting memory that it's that it's that it's had.
0: Is there something recent I, that you've had that, something recent that you've had?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think even uh, my, maybe my top three have all come within the last twelve to eighteen months. Um, one of which would be a week before moving from London to Singapore. Um, I was clearing out my uh, small, very, very modest wine rack um, at my, my flat in Wandsworth. Uh, had my brother over with his wife for dinner. We had 1998 and
0: 1985
1: Chateau Margot, mm. which the 1985 was spectacular. Um, absolutely, absolutely monumental. Still unbelievably young and fresh. Plenty of um, print, plenty of um, uh, juice. Um, not getting too tertiary, lovely, lovely spice, still, still very refreshing and, and fruity, which is, which is something I prefer. I, I generally prefer younger Bordeaux, so I, I don't like it being too leathery, too too much spice or tobacco. Um, and this was absolutely perfect. Um, obviously, the occasion was, was pretty special as well. Prior to that, with my now fiancé, Stockholm at a, uh, a nice restaurant, the name of which eludes me. And we had Casanova Daeneri, the Ten Luto Nuova, 2010 Brunello, which got, I think, got 100 points from Wine um, Advocate, which is quite, I think is quite rare. I don't think that publication particularly gives many super high scores to Italian wines. Mm. So this is this is joining quite a quite a special break. Um, I'm in love with Brunello. That's what I'm trying to immerse myself in um, completely at the moment, trying to work my way through two or three dozen producers, working my way back through 13, 12, 11, 10, um, the, most, the most recent vintages, just to completely understand um, Brunello before I can move on to the next the next area to, to understand that. Um, that's also, we're getting married in Tuscany in September, um, and we're only about 20 minutes away from Montalcino, so I'm hoping... I can find a, a, a relatively affordable uh, Brunello, which will which will fit within our budget to be serving um, for our for our wedding dinner. So the Casanova de Neri was 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 pretty special, particularly having it during the winter in Stockholm when it was probably minus ten degrees outside. Um, having with a really hearty uh, Swedish uh, meal that was that was also. A, a pretty a pretty special moment
0: yeah and big big bold wine like that on a nice cold night that's that's uh perfect yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely absolutely perfect i'm working my way through the the italian wines as well i'm trying to get more sangiovese and get more nebbiolo and uh and trying to work my way through a a bunch of different wineries or not wineries but um wine regions Yep.
1: well that's that's going to be my next my next thing is to head north and uh, and and learn everything I can about uh, about Barolo and Barbaresco because I don't have I don't have that much experience. You know, I'll, I'll encounter a, uh, a nice bottle once every once every two or three months, but you know that frequency isn't enough to really get understanding for which producers have done and well and what vintages and um, which haven't, which is what's what's necessary I suppose to pick out the winners.
0: I'm fortunate enough that one of my colleagues at my work uh, happens to be an Italian wine scholar, and so his obviously his wine knowledge is impeccable for Italian wines. So he's always pushing me in in certain directions and trying to uh, trying to entice me to to hit certain certain wine regions and certain you know certain grapes. And uh, so it's it's great to have a kind of a inside source, shall we say.
1: Yes. Perfect. Yeah. That always helps. Um, unfortunately I don't, I don't have such a, such a relationship. I haven't got a friend um, over there that can give an inside track. So trial and error is my only way. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that works, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's yeah. no complaints at all. If, uh, if the more you drink, um, the more you learn, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah. Um, and in fact, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting one, one, one which I should probably my my favorite my favorite ever wine um was a couple of years ago um and that was vegas city unico 1998 Mm
0: -hmm. yeah that that's one of those ones that's that ranks up there right
1: yeah yeah it was it was awesome because we um have you have you have you heard of 67 pall mall in london no it's uh a wine club which Uh, was sorry i have heard
0: of it i have heard of it yes
1: Yes, so it's, if if, if and when you're next in London, you have to have to, to find uh, a member to take you there because it's 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 awesome. It was it uh, when was it opened? Um, probably winter three years ago. Uh, I was a, a founding member, so I was a member from before it before it officially opened, and um, I think it was the first time I took my dad there we did a little mini vertical of Unico i think something like 90 uh, 94 96 98 so 94 maybe 98 um, 90 uh, 2000 and uh, 2004 and although the 98 that we had shouldn't have necessarily been the best of the lineup it just showed perfectly that day and it stood out to both of us that was our our wine of the night uh, and that that probably sticks in my memory is the best the best wine i've i've ever had mm. um shame it's just so expensive <laughs> yeah so i can't have it
0: more often <laughs> and that you know that's funny that is that's something i need to do more of As wineries i like is to do that linear you know to do that tasting that linear oh. tasting and get different different years and different vintages and stuff and and especially wineries that i know and that I know I've I've liked or enjoyed, and then to, just to see that progression, to see what you know, whatever their range is, you know, um, if it's over ten years or whatever it is, just to see how it progresses and and to be able to taste it and know uh, based on on the ones I've had, and just to, just to see the differences and stuff. Yeah,
1: exactly. I think I think that's one of the one of the biggest privileges of working in the wine trade is the the ability to have that kind of tasting much more frequently than I think a general consumer mm. will ever be able to. Um, whether it's because we have a winemaker come over to our office or um, bring uh, a vertical of eight or so wines to a dinner, which we put on for our clients, or just going to somewhere like 67 Pall Mall, where they have, I think it's a by-the-glass wine list of four or five hundred plus um, thanks to their 24-plus Coravans that they use. Mm. Uh, we're, we're lucky enough to be able to experience that. And I think that's the, that's the best. My favourite two tastings would be uh, a vertical from a specific producer um, or a horizontal where you can look at 10-plus wines from the same vintage, different appellations, and be able to compare uh, amongst them. Because until you can do that, you're never really going to grasp how vast um, the difference is, um, even from neighbour to neighbour, or looking at one Grand Cru vineyard in Burgundy, if you look at six or seven different uh, Riche until you actually taste all of their 2005s next to each other, you never quite appreciate the difference that possibly five metres makes, not just to the terroir, 1, but to the wine-producing techniques, um, everything that happens from conception to... Uh, consumption so that's that's pretty special, I think we're lucky to be able
0: to do that yeah for sure the other the other question I had I just I was just thinking about it was um just thinking about current wine trends and what's we were talking a little bit about California and we we're talking a little bit about what's kind of currently trending and i'm I was just thinking about a tie in with with natural wines and stuff from your perspective from investments and stuff i'm assuming that most of your most of your, um, your clients are still interested in predominantly, I guess they're still trending away from natural wines and stuff as an, as an investment, from the investment side of it.
1: Well, here's, here's where I guess we're talking actually less about wine and more about a commodity, more, more about an asset class. Uh, at cult Wines, because we're looking at this for investment, we have to de-romanticize it. We have to mm, take out any personal preferences or opinions or understandings or um, anything which lets the heart get away and what the correct investment is. So whether a wine is natural or not won't make any difference to us in terms of whether we consider an investment grade or whether we put it into a portfolio. It's not something that's factored in. As it happens, natural wines don't or won't have the same investment potential. One reason being... They are inherently less consistent, so you don't have the same wines to benchmark, uh, say, a current vintage against a previous vintage's quality, have prices gone up by how much, why, you get a lot more variation um, between, between wines. Uh, as it happens, a lot of top investment grade wines will be not necessarily natural, but will be organic or biodynamic many of the top estates we look at in Burgundy have been for a long time and quite a few in Bordeaux are going in that direction. How long they'll be able to keep going for is uh, up for debate at the moment. I think it's been discussed a lot over the last 12 months. Whether the natural wine, um, I don't really want to call it a movement because that suggests that trends will change and I don't think they necessarily will. I think natural wine as a popular um, style or technique of uh, production is, 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 is very much here to stay, which is welcome. But on the investment side, that's not something we would particularly talk about. Mm. Um, we're looking at these things as a stock. So, why is it appreciating value? Where is it appreciating? Who's buying it? Who's selling it? Um, and how's that going to change over the next five years? So, yeah, whether it's natural or not won't impact on that. That's more down to personal preference. in Taste um, on the consumption side, which is the secondary market, which is really beyond our company's scope. That's after we've sold our client stock, after we've been the custodians, um, when it's
0: more with the agents or the merchants or the trade partners that we work with. Interesting. I think I'll leave it there, uh Sam. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, my my, my pleasure. Very good to uh, very good to speak to you. I think we're going to leave it there for now. Thanks for listening. For more wine conversation and podcast updates. You can follow us on Instagram at Ian's Wine Truths. Check out our website for great photos of our guests, friends of the com. Take care. Have a glass for me.